0: Hey everyone, it's, I would say it's another week of Find Your Film, but this time out, it's sort of a director spotlight. It, I w- I'm going to call it a movement spotlight. This week we are covering Dogma 95, Dogma 69 is Eric Holmes, he is spearheading this, <laughs> this episode. And his camera is shaky cam, Bruce Perky's Perk Me 56, he is pretending to shake a cam I am, I am just Greg Srizavasti. I'm not, I'm not doing the shaky cam. There's a reason. Eric Holmes, is, are, are, is there a reason why you're doing the shaky cam in the way it relates to Dogma 95? Can you give us a little bit of background regarding this?
1: Well, as per one of the rules of uh, the Dogma 69 Podcast Association, uh, we, must, we must record all of the podcasts handheld. Oh wow! Handheld
0: like this, like this, holding it. We have to hold the computer handheld. Yeah, oh, that's
1: interesting. That's gonna make a shaky cam for the viewer, Eric Holmes. Yeah, it it, it makes it makes the uh, it makes the uh, the film review uh, experience pure pure, and that's <laughs> sure. that's what we're looking for mostly when doing film reviews is to be as pure as possible. (laughs) It's all about, it's all about the uh, film review and not about, um, you know, special effects or, you know, or the vanity of the critics or, yes, we want people to pay attention to the review itself and not anything else (laughs) that's might be going on screen that could distract them from the (laughs) review. Oh boy.
0: Oh boy. (laughs) So first off, Eric Holmes, in all seriousness, why was Dogma 95 something you wanted to use your turn up as far as our director spotlight universe? Why was this very important for you?
1: It was something I heard, like, uh, you know, in, in film nerd circles, you hear a lot about Dogma 95. And I think a lot of people know about it, but I did, I never really delved into it. It didn't seem like something that would be up my alley. But since we've been doing the director's spotlights, um And ironically, we're talking about Dogma 95 on director's spotlights when we shouldn't be mentioning directors, but we'll get into that. But uh, it just seemed like, you know, we do a film podcast. So this is uh, definitely uh, something within film history that I think people should probably know about, whether they like it or not or appreciate it or, you know, all that's, uh, you know, here nor there. It just seemed like something interesting to talk about.
0: Now, part, for part of our podcast listeners, if you are actually not just listening, but watching this pod, we are getting dark. It's We're in dark soon-to-be darkened rooms because one of the rules, I believe, for Dogma 95, Eric Holmes will be just breaking this whole Dogma 95 thing down, is we have to have natural light. Bruce Perky, my question to you is before we break down the rules... Were you a fan of that movement back in 95 to, I guess the official is 95 to 2004, 2005. There are still dogma films being made, but were you a fan of that movement?
2: I was not even aware
0: of it. I have never even heard of it until
2: probably in the last five years.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I I was a film critic back in the nineties. And then I started getting a lot of movies like breaking the waves and a lot of the celebration, which we're going to get to in a second. And when I got again, I'm gonna tell the story one more time. Is when I got the celebration on VHS, I was supposed to interview filmmaker Thomas Vinterberg to talk about Dogma 95. And I thought just without for without any research, since I wasn't doing my job as a journalist, I thought that movement was probably a little bit too pretentious for my taste. And I ended up <laughs> not a watching the VHS tape of the celebration. It just sat on my I didn't even return it like an idiot. Sat on my VCR for maybe years on end, and eventually I probably just junked it. But I realized, probably, you know what? I never did realize it until Eric Holmes decided to pick Dogma ninety five, and I realized how twenty five years ago I made a horrible mistake by not doing a one on one interview with Thomas Vinterberg regarding his and Lars von Trier's intentions for creating Dogma ninety five. Eric Holmes, Dogma ninety five is not Dogma ninety five without a certificate, without a set of rules. Can you tell um, the initiates, people who want to learn about this movement, what are some of the rules and how how is that also, we're going to I also be talking about how it affects our own podcast, not just the lighting pretty soon.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it started off uh, with Thomas Vinterberg and Lars von Trier. My initial thought was this was kind of like a pretentious, uh, this is what the purity of cinema was. And after hearing like a, a couple of interviews, I think it's, I think it was more, uh, the intention was more of a, uh, uh, like a writing challenge. Um, you know, doing the, like, if you're, uh, do the writer's group and, uh, they'll be like, okay, you need to write a scene, uh, involving an apple and a boat. Okay. Well, I got to write the script and it's got to involve an apple and a boat somewhere. And I think that, uh, they decided that they were going to set some guidelines uh, or some rules uh, based on what these, what these movies have to fall into to be, be a Dogma 95 movie. Um, the intention was to purify cinema, uh, to make it just all about the story and not a bunch of, uh, you know, extra stuff. But, uh, you know, and some people, uh, some people in the Dogma 95 movies followed them a lot of them broke rules here and there but you know the the spirit of it is to you know try to uh make it as pure as possible uh following these rules and i'm about to read the rules um number one we're not to we're not supposed to have uh, notes in this uh in this podcast <laughs> <No> <laughs> as notes. per the uh, dogma 69 but i'm breaking it now because uh i have like uh, donkey brains and <laughs> OK, <laughs> I cannot remember these things, but uh, we will just kind of go over the rules. And, and you guys having seen the movies. Maybe we can kind of go through the rules one by one and kind of uh, see maybe where maybe where that's a good idea for what they were intending or maybe because some of these rules are kind of confusing. Maybe we'll just break those down. Sure. Uh, the first one's actually pretty straightforward. Uh, shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in if a particular prop is necessary for the story a location must be chosen where the prop is to be found so this is basically uh you know if you're gonna if you're gonna shoot uh if you're gonna make a movie about a fireman and you have to find a firehouse to shoot at if you want you know you can't you can't build a set um you know that's pretty uh Pretty self-explanatory. Number two, the sound must never be produced apart from images or vice versa. Music must not be used unless it occurs where the scene is being shot. And I don't know—at least the movie, the movie I saw—I think they broke that rule more than a couple times. I don't know if that has to do with uh, like uh, J cuts or L cuts when editing. But I—I I don't mm. know about you guys, but I—I've seen uh, that broken a couple times. Uh, the camera must be handheld. Any movement or immobility attainable in the hand is permitted. Uh, this means no dollies, no tracks, uh, no uh, no tripods. And I think Michael Bay is a huge fan of that because he loves shaking the shit out of his camera. Um, but, but cranes are allowed. Cranes and drones.
0: No, no. <laughs> Not unless you're
1: holding the camera on the drone.
2: <laughs> i i was to say i wondered because i think that uh, we'll talk about it later but i think in one of them uh, they had a pretty high angle shot and i figured they were holding it either on a ladder maybe or
1: on standing on a chair uh, would that be allowed yeah, i i would i would assume so okay uh, but that would be bringing the prop in technically so maybe if the chair is already there because like you could grab the so you could grab a camera and just hold it like way above your head and standing on a chair that just happened to be in that room yeah, That's, it. Not that's bringing probably, or
2: standing on a bed or something because i was thinking in the yeah. celebration there's a scene that kind of oh happen. yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i know the exact shot you're talking about and i was like wait a second <laughs> and actually that that kind of uh that kind of uh not to uh detract too much but uh stuff stuff like these rules like as i don't know about you guys but as i'm watching them i have the rules in my mind and so I see certain shots. I'm like, wait a second, how'd they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was in as specific as you were, or Bruce, to be
0: honest. I was looking at more of the the spirit, maybe because I'm not detail-oriented. And what, that's why you guys really helped with the show. I'm very bad, as you guys know, with details. So it was more about the spirit. And we'll get, we're going to get to my choice down the road. And I think it really fit within the spirit of dogma. I, I almost felt like also at a couple times I noticed, I thought that maybe the
2: directors that were really into it or whoever they were almost found it as a challenge to see if they could sneak in one rule break. <laughs> it, I, I felt like that was happening sometimes where it's like, it was really, really truthful, you know, really right on as far as I could tell. And there'd be one thing that was just streamed to me like, wow, that's not right. So I'd be interesting to talk about
1: that too. So. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, next is number four. The film must be in color special lighting is not acceptable if there's too little light for exposure the seam must be cut or a single lamp be attached to the camera and uh hence the natural lighting on this here podcast Mm -hmm. um (laughs) you'll notice my backlighting is not (laughs) turned on optical work and filters are forbidden uh the filters make sense optical work i guess i'm not too sure what optical work yeah. is um but uh, optical
2: work would be like um like uh optical effects i think so yeah. um like for example they don't do optical credits like if yeah. you notice the credits they're like okay. written on a piece of paper yes. or something yeah. whereas um those would be optically attached to the um the film in a processing of the film later
1: yeah so all right, very cool. Well, the one I saw broke that rule right off the bat because they actually had the. Um, anyway, uh, number six: the film must not contain superficial action, murders, weapons, etc. Must not occur. Now, this one I don't get. Um, I, I think I understand the spirit of what they're going for. Uh, they want real stories, so they don't want. Um, uh, you know, if if uh, a couple sitting there having a uh, you know having dinner, and then all of a sudden. Uh, you know uh, a a fight breaks out or a shootout occurs obviously that's not something that would typically happen in that situation and make it organic a a
0: scene that's more carved out out from reality than some kind of stylized moment
1: yeah maybe probably yeah but yeah that that one just kind of confused me i I don't think i fully understand that rule but i I think i kind of get the spirit of it but whatever uh, seven temporal and geograph- geographical alienation are forbidden. That is to say, the film takes place here and now. So there are no uh, there are no futuristic movies and no uh, what what do you call those the past movies
0: Proustian films, <laughs>
2: Marcel Proustian films, right, Bruce? Yes, and I would suggest that the celebration breaks that rule at a certain point.
1: Oh, <clears throat> really? Okay, we'll have to get into that. I'm not quite sure but uh, oh, I will be very con <laughs> I would like to uh, know about that one. Uh, genre movies are not acceptable. This is the, bi- this is the big one. Well, uh, we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back to that. Cause uh, the last two were pretty. Uh, that's
0: that's a rule that you have to break because that's well, what the story is.
1: But we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one. Cause that that's the one rule where I'm like, well, had, well anyway, uh, real quick, number nine, the film must be Academy 35 millimeter. And I found out that it doesn't mean it needs to be shot that way, but it means it needs to be presented that way. So technically, none of us have watched a Dogma 95 movie yet. And the last one, the director must not be credited. But I want to go back to rule number eight, the genre film. I believe the uh, the Dogma movies themselves are a genre, but how do, you, how do you define genre? That's a rule
0: that's just, they made it. I think Vinterberg in that podcast... a recent podcast, I think with Roger Deakins that I heard, he was just saying some of the rules it was made over several hours with Lars or just talking. And he, the way he made it sound was there a couple of rules that maybe were maybe ridiculous in concept. And maybe he was just giving himself, maybe he was just being very self-deprecating. And I think that if he was sort of telling the truth, it would have to be on that genre rule because that's just, that's ironic i I don't know i think
2: that the only way you could kind of think of it is that it probably is forcing the movies that they're doing to try to not be categorizable as a a genre so you wouldn't say it's a western it's a horror movie it's a sci-fi movie it's a romance uh it's a i don't know whatever so i think they're trying to say like whatever they're doing it's going to push it to be genre bending i guess that would be, right. I think, the spirit of it once again, but once again, that's the haziest rule of yeah. I think we all agree. Yeah. Oh, I, I one little proposal. This is a proposal just for future. It would be really fun sometime for us to make the bizarro version of the Dogma ninety-five rules, but we're gonna call them the De Palma seventy-five rules.
1: <laughs> Very
0: good. Yes. Everything must be in split screen. Background and foreground must be in the same resolution. Director's name must be bigger than everything else. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I I know this is dogma. We're going to get to it in a second, but I got to do the De Palma reference. Uh, Years ago, a buddy of mine, his name's Jordan. He asked De Palma during the interviews, Mr. De Palma, I'm just wondering why do you use split diopters so much in your movies and he looked at my buddy Jordan, and he said, "When you look at something, is something in the background less? You see the foreground and the background the same way, and that's how I want to shoot it." <laughs> so <laughs> that was his, yeah. So that was his answer to sp- using split diopters. So eventually, yes, Bruce, that is a a great idea. We're gonna do a De, Pal- De Palma uh, 70, 75, 75. 75. He has to be seventy five. De Palma seventy five. Very very good. Okay, so. Eric Holmes, are we going to start off with the films first, or are the uh, film that started off?
1: Well, let's start off with the one we all saw. Uh, that would be uh, Festin or a celebration, uh, and that is Dogma number one. And so, hey, uh, this is uh, a story about a bunch of people, a bunch of family uh, coming, friends and family coming together for the uh, the uh, patriarch's uh, it was his 60th birthday. I believe
0: 60th yep. birthday, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: and it's uh, it's pretty dry until um, the uh, the dad's son. All the uh, son, yeah, the older yeah. Son. He he gives uh, he gives a toast. He gives yeah. a very, he gives a very uh, the toast to end all toasts. Yeah, the, he gives a very uh, personal toast and uh, basically mentions that the uh, the the dad had. Uh, molested him and I believe his sister uh, who had uh, killed herself. Oh, you know what? That, was, was that the, was that the uh, that's not thing you were talking about? Um, there's a point
2: towards the end. I'm not going to spoil things. Obviously there's a point towards the end where I feel like we go into an altered state, which might represent a, a change in time and place. That's not natural. Okay. It happens to one of the characters. And I think that is kind of goes against the spirit of that. It doesn't like, in a sense, it's kind of like a dream sequence or something that's happening, Mm. uh, which doesn't seem like should be something that should be in any of the Dogma movies.
1: Okay. I I guess as far as that rule goes, so I I was under the impression that the rule was um, it has to represent today. Well, how does it st- how is it
2: stated again? Like, what's the wording on that? Because I think it says something like, I, um, I close it and I'm not
1: allowed to ah. of notes again.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to. Um, anyway, no. but
1: but it's uh, I, I think the spirit of it was uh, don't do a uh, period piece, a period or a piece feature. or a futuristic new yeah. movie. It, it's uh, like if we did a dogma uh 69 movie today, it would be set in 2021, it would right. be set today in 2021, not in the year from now or a year ago. But anywho, yeah, but that that is that is a good point. That is a good point. Did um, you guys
0: find regarding the celebration? I think none of us have seen the celebration or, or like mm, Eric you nope. saying Festen And Bruce, what were your original thoughts on the celebration? Obviously the movie's considered is widely critically acclaimed. Does it deserve all the, all of the what all of the all of those wonderful accolades.
2: I think it does. I think it's. I think it's really good. I think it's a great way to kick off the movement. And obviously, if people agreed, or it, the movement probably would have died really quickly. <laughs> but um, what I think was strong about it, and you go ahead, we can all talk about it, is it kind of has this very stodgy, traditional setup, right? All these, you know. St- Siblings going to their father's celebration, and you got the, the 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 fuck up brother that's kind of rowdy and crazy. You have the conservative, straight laced brother. You have the sister who's kind of in between the two, and they have this whole setup. And for the first half hour, I thought, oh boy, this is gonna this might be kind of long. It's gonna be a lot of celebrations and speeches and just you know talking about their relationships and where they've gone with their lives. But the minute that toast happens the awkwardness and the tension is just cranked to a whole different level. And then from that point on, it becomes kind of this, um, I
0: don't know, how would you guys describe it? It's almost like a dark comedy. Yeah. Dark comedy. Yeah. Perfect. perfect. Dark comedy, dark comedy, yeah. tragedy. Yeah. A mixture of both. And it, and
2: it really, it's really interesting things. Like and we don't want to give everything away because we want people to watch it, but certain things like the second the shit goes down, there's this really interesting moment where all of the kitchen and all the staff says, Grab everyone's keys and hide them. We're gonna basically saying like we're gonna make this shit go down here with everybody in the same spot, unable to escape. And that was the moment where I was like, "Oh wow, this is this is good. <laughs> and like, I can't wait to see how this plays out." And from there on, it rolls, and I think it's excellent.
0: Yeah, for me uh, regarding this, it, one thing I I do miss is, you know, they're shooting what in mini DV. There's TV cameras back in the day. And you're not they're obviously not as they don't even have as good of a resolution as a digital camera, like one of the <laughs> cameras we have today. And you just forget about how bad the resolution is because you're so immersed into the story. And Eric was talking, Eric, you were talking about the handheld nature, you're holding your computer and you're shaking it. It I I I actually I actually ignored that movement because I thought it was so pretentious, but Regarding those rules, by using your, just using your actual body, your hands to hold the camera, you feel like you're actually part of the movie a lot more, especially regarding the plot line of the celebration, you know, where you you want to be feel really close-knit with what's going on within the, the drama of this family. So I thought the handheld stuff was great. And I do miss that horrible resolution from the celebration. I wish there were more movies like that today. That we could see because now we see all these, even if it's an indie film, the digital image looks so nice that sometimes the scenes themselves look very staged and fake and looks like they look like TV movies almost. And something like The Celebration may not have as great resolution as 100% of movies today, but you probably will remember more images from that movie than a lot of the movies that are shot in better resolution today today. So I think part of the Dogma 95 movement is talking about stripping away all of these big studio rules, the the lighting, the what you were talking about the music, Eric, to actually enhance the story and to make it more memorable. And I think that's why The Celebration is one of the top Dogma 95 movies and why even to this day, with all of its lack of tech, it's still a very memorable movie going experience. So Eric, you're, you're your thoughts on The Celebration?
1: I was going gonna... to... was going to mention that uh at the beginning of the in i don't know if it was shot in order uh it's not one of the rules it has to be i don't think but uh um it feels like at the beginning of the movie they're trying to do all these uh fancy camera angles and like uh you know uh, like frame the shot real well and and then uh bruce mentioned earlier that shot where it goes up and then kind of comes down i was actually kind of rolling my eyes at a lot of that and i think that's part of why i didn't really take to this movie right away Mm. that and it it almost seemed like they were like see even with our restrictions we can do these cool camera stuff i'm like yeah that's cool but what's the movie about and then as the movie progresses it almost seems that uh that stuff it, it pretty much as soon as the story kicked off proper all that stuff went out the window and it was just about pointing the camera at the people and let, let's, let's uh, see these people's emotions, how they react to one another and how the story plays out. And then it just gets, it gets uh, really good from there. Um, yeah. And, and then I would, ag- Oh, go, go ahead. ahead.
2: I was gonna say, I would agree. Absolutely. What you're saying. And I think what you see happen is so once the story happens or like it turns, like we just talked about, once that story turn happens, what's really good about the constraints is that it, it, now you have this real geographical place you have an actual place they don't have sets so you're having characters throughout the rest of the thing constantly escaping or re-entering areas or trying to get away from a, a this incredibly awkward and um situation or trying to get back to it um so then all of a sudden it's just the motion and the movement of these characters with the situation, as opposed to, like you said, um, tricky camera moves and stuff when nothing's happening to try to keep it interesting, I guess, as opposed to letting the story, keep it interesting, which is what happens for the, I'd say the last, I don't know, two thirds of the movie, which is great. So I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying there.
1: There, There is a, a one technical, technical thing that I was really impressed with uh, assuming they did it the way I think they did it. Um uh, and it also kind of goes towards, uh, with, with these rules set in place, well, before uh, that, with these rules set in place, it feels kind of like watching a Tarantino movie, knowing, going in, that he doesn't use CGI. So when you see this great effect or great thing happen on screen, it, it usually with, uh, if you know the CGI is in there, you just kind of brush it off like, oh, you know, you, there's no wonder to it. But then if you go in knowing that, oh, these are the rules that they always follow, then you got a bit, oh, how'd they do that? And there was one part in this, it was during an early dance sequence where they're uh, playing the, uh, someone's playing the piano in the background. Well, knowing that, you can't, you have to use uh, music that's in that's uh, within the scene. And so, you know, uh, obviously someone's playing the piano, but they keep cutting. And every time they cut a scene, you hear the the ambient noise in the background. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. you know every, every time but the piano music is always on time and mm. there was like a, there was a couple a couple cuts where i heard that because i was like oh shit they're cheating they're just laying piano track over this which is like one of the one of the clear rules that you cannot do that but then i heard a couple uh a couple cuts in the movie where they cut from one frame to another and the piano's still kind of on time but i heard it jump a little bit and then it cut again. I heard the piano jump again, and I was like, "Holy shit! Did they sync up that piano player with the cuts to this? Because that is freaking amazing." Or
2: How they had, um, or they had enough coverage that they could sync up different, yeah, takes or different camera. Like they maybe they had, um, I don't know, four cameras in different yeah. places all filming while that but, piano was being played. But, but the you, same problem would occur, though. You'd still have you, to sync them up
1: and you have to have a piano player that's essentially a human metronome because <laughs> they unless, have a
2: piano player. unless there was a player piano already at that location
1: <laughs> ah, yep, yep. Either, either way that either way um I, one of the fun things of watching these movies is is stuff like that where you know going in that they can't do these things that normally it would be pretty, like, you know, you wouldn't even, but now I guess as a word, you just wouldn't even think of it. But since you know that they're playing by these rules, and then you start, you start noticing little tricks and stuff that they're doing, and it's really impressive a lot of times. Like, much more impressive than, hey, look at this cool camera move I can do, you know. But, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Well, I think Vinterberg said he spent six to seven months editing this movie. I wonder if that's just normal anyway, to how long it takes to edit a movie. But I mean, I think he, he inferred that it was a, a pretty intensive editing process. And I'm sure with, with the resources they had, I can understand it's not exactly the easiest movie to to piece together in the editing process. So that is the I mean the celebration, high marks for me. I, I love the whole drama behind it, and it's I'm glad it's the first one off the gate, so this did this, this didn't disappoint you, Eric. This high marks for you as well.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually, had one of my uh, had one of my favorite lines in it. Uh, the uh, I just want to know why you did it. <laughs> it's mm. the only thing you were ever good for, <laughs> dude. Oh yeah, dude, there were yes. knives coming out of the screen, just hitting me right in the heart when I saw oh. that. I was like, what the fuck kind of evil bastard are you? <laughs> and oh. I would also mention
2: that this movie uh, of all it is a, One thing it does. It's it's one of those uh, a night ever. All this shit happens in basically over one night, which is yeah. uh, always a kind of, I, I like that kind of sub sub genre, not a genre, right. When I love to do genre movies. Um, <laughs> and also I can't think of a movie where, where hitting a glass to make a toast became more tension filled oh, as gosh. a movie went on. my goodness.
1: Yeah. Because yeah.
2: they did that every time they did that. As as the movie went on, you're like, oh fuck, now what? <laughs> now what's gonna happen?
1: Oh God, you know that. Just, just <laughs> that main drink and leave, man.
0: <laughs> I hope that main actor from from the celebration from Festen. I hope he has a secondary side hustle where he he is an official toastmaster at weddings and celebrations. Because that would be an awesome side gig for that guy to have. You know. So yeah,
1: <laughs> I'd, I'd also like to point out the guy that played it, the brother. The fucking yeah. asshole yeah Dude, yep. i just want to choke this shit out of him like every yep like, not early on because i didn't know but like once things started happening his reactions toward things like oh you little dirty bastard oh
2: yeah. when he led a song when he led a song um and her um her boyfriend had shown up oh my god oh, was, yeah. Yeah.
1: oh
0: yeah oh yeah that was something yeah. else
1: oh yeah I, I completely forgot about that when the when her boyfriend showed okay. up it's like the, maybe yeah. that was the turning point like I, I already <laughs> yeah. kind of I kind of already saw him as you know his little asshole kind of head started peeking out a little bit but yeah when he's yeah so that is the celebra- spoilers but yeah the, the celebration is thumbs up for thumbs sure thumbs up well we would actually tell
0: you guys where to find it but we don't have computers or notes so go to justwatch.com <laughs> and figure out uh, Best YouTube in, or, I think YouTube. oh well exactly we saw it on YouTube. That's how I saw it on you. I saw it on YouTube. If you go to just watch, if I thank you, Eric, it's hard to find it. It doesn't say it's available anywhere, but you can currently, as of this recording, find a copy of Festin, AKA the celebration on YouTube. You don't need to find a really great Blu-ray copy because it's, like a mini like a digital video mini tv shot so it's can, can you imagine
1: can you imagine wasting your money on a 4k release of this oh yeah <laughs> oh my gosh right <laughs> so that is best in the celebration
0: we're gonna i think bruce perky sure by the way that's dogma number one right so Yep. can you talk about whatever dogma number you have right now what's the name of your film and um mine is dogma number three um if anyone else
2: got dog number three it's mafune did anyone else do mafune nope nope uh, <laughs> at least no crossover yet um so first of all it was kind of out of default my original thing was i was going to ra- i randomly number generated and i was going to pick a pick a movie and that didn't work out so well because not surprisingly a lot of these movies are really hard to find in any form and i found a couple on youtube but they weren't like uh translated and I was like I I can't I, I have to give myself some help here. Um I really wanted to find one called Fuckland. Uh I was had, looking
1: for that one too.
2: <laughs> just cuz I wanted to say Fuckland over and over again about my movie. <laughs> so but, disappointed uh,
1: that that wasn't Dogma 69. Yeah. <laughs> so and I guess it's
2: about the Falkland Islands and it's kind of a comedic like uh, undercover like satire on the Falkland oh, Islands. I would have anyway. been so disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> So I did Mafune. Uh, Mifune is uh, pretty easy to find. I rented it on Amazon Prime. You can actually find this one probably because it's one of the earlier ones. It seems like it was pretty well funded and pretty well produced. I don't, don't know who directed it, um, but it is seem to be Scandinavian as well. So it's probably in the group. I'm assuming one of the directors in that group. Uh, basic. So interesting thing about this movie is it's a little. So you think that all these movies are going to automatically be kind of dark and and. Uh, really artistic and brooding and stuff and this movie is teeters on a light kind of a romantic comedy believe it or not you oh. wouldn't think yeah i know right
0: so what you do, were you uh, disappointed because were you looking for something dark
2: under underdog nah. or were you
0: okay Mm-mm. fair
2: i really didn't have any expectations i was gonna get what i was, was gonna get you know so i was basing it on very little like just a title and ability to find it so and i saw this and i was actually able to get it so i did it because i didn't want to spend you know <laughs> days trying to find one movie so a basic concept it starts out with this guy he seems to be uh, kind of up you know well well to do businessman i thought for a minute it was gonna be like the celebration because it starts with him getting married uh his wife seems to be rich you know rich daddy he's a businessman she seems a little bit self you know uh self-obsessed you only see them together for maybe the first five minutes of the movie. He gets a call or a letter. I can't remember what exactly saying that his father has died. And she's like, what? You never even told me you had a father. And immediately he's kind of like, uh, he doesn't want to talk about it very much. And you get the idea that he's kind of ashamed of it. Uh, and so he says, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I just got to go and take care of the affairs. He goes back home. It's a kind of a rundown farm in the country. His dad is, you know, obviously passed away. And his brother is there, and this is—it's—it's it's almost, in some ways, it's almost like Rain Man, right? So his brother, his adult brother, he lives on the farm, and his adult brother has um, some sort of mental uh, deficiency or you know, what was it? Um, adult developmental disability of some sort. But he seems to be pretty high functioning, but you can tell he's—he's he's somewhere in that that spectrum, and he's just like Tom Cruise's character. He's kind of you know. He's kind of the cool guy and he kind of doesn't want to have to deal with his brother. He has to get the farm in order so he can either sell it or do something basically. Um, So what he does is he, he he hires a a housekeeper to get it all in order, help take care of his brother and get everything in order. Uh, She, then you cut to her and you get a little backstory on her and she's basically a, uh, you know, a high priced call girl who is hating her life and she just wants to get out of it for a while. So she Mm. just takes, takes this job. So all these things are are sort of tropey, but, the um the dogma 95 constraints on it really humanizes it and gives it like a lot more intimacy and personality than a movie like this would normally have so I think once again the constraints really helped the story and by the end you feel like you really have, are living with real characters that you really like as opposed to the kind of caricatures they could have remained uh, in a you know a normal more Hollywood eyes type movie um it ends up being really, really good, really charming, really fun, and a, a pretty great movie. Uh, you love the characters by the end, all of them. Uh, I don't want to reveal some of the things, but there's a few scenes in there that are just spectacular, really fun. Um, I, I really liked it.
0: I th- I'm thinking maybe this movie did well when it was released because it seems like a really good movie. And I don't know if
2: it's true because I was watching it on the computer. Actually, uh, wa- we have a pretty big screen computer. I was watching on that and uh, my wife was in the background she doesn't really care to watch these movies but she said that looks like the woman the main woman in this she's a very you know beautiful uh blonde swedish type i don't know if sweden or norway or whatever you know woman yeah and my wife's like wasn't that the woman that was in high fidelity and i'm like um maybe <laughs> i don't know so after the fact if you guys want to look we can find oh, out if it was the woman from high prob- fidelity probably my wife it's about the right time period for it i think this takes i think this movie was from 98 Okay, 97. Um, the production values, once again, the production values are really good in this. Uh, the only time when I felt like it might might have um, strayed is early on. He's doing like a kind of a Tai Chi kind of a thing before he goes back to the farm. Yeah. And I feel like there's there's kind of that stereotypical like samurai music kind of dropped into it. And I didn't see like a, a, a radio or anything next to him making that sound. So I felt like that was the one cheat, like almost on purpose. Uh, and Mifune is explained and it is based on what you think it might be based on. But I won't oh, tell you tell in you why. what context?
0: Okay. okay. Yeah. So Mifune, I can't wait to see that. That's currently available for rental, which is how Bruce yeah. got it. And Eric, you're going to be the last person because you're spearheading the show. I'm going to give you my pick. My pick is Dogma number twelve. It's also known as Italian for Beginners, and Italian for Beginners. I looked at a whole list of, and I saw I wasn't as revolutionary as either of you. I looked, I saw a whole bunch of dark and brooding movies directed probably by Lars von Trier and all these different people that I I, I didn't want to actually think about. And then I saw this movie, Italian for Beginners, seems like a really cool woman light romantic comedy. So unlike you, Bruce, I was going for, because I, I saw the name Mufune and I'm thinking, ooh, that might be a reference to, to Shiro Mufune. And I'm sure that's dark. And I was wrong, obviously. <laughs> and, and it I, wasn't I was at competing. all. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm going to scroll down. Ooh, Italian for beginners. Seems like one of these sort of uh, my big fat Greek wedding kind of movies. So I'll just do it. And so it's currently streaming as we speak on Paramount Plus time for beginners i actually highly recommend this movie to a friend of the show our friend angie clark she saw it and she ended up really loving it i told her not to tell you guys that she saw it because <laughs> this was all a big secret i'm assuming eric that's not your choice for a time for beginners that's not your third choice no, that's not good it, I, it
1: I, almost was but it was not really it almost It almost. i'll, was. I'll, I'll get to the almost ones i had oh but, uh,
0: my goodness okay so a time for beginners very simple story it's a deacon or priest, he comes into a new church to sort of not just replace the, the, um, the head parishioner. I mean, the head uh, priest, he's, he's kind of burnt out. So he decides to, this guy, the replacement, he's taking over all the other priestly duties, like just the Sunday mass and, and dealing with congregation and everything. So he, he actually, he's a temporary re- replacement for the head, head honcho over at the church so he's and he's currently living at a hotel because so it's not because he hasn't he doesn't know if he's going to stay there for a while so this priest is just getting acclimated to his new neighborhood and you know he's he's sort of he's a very well meaning person, but he is not he's social enough as a priest, but slowly but surely he starts ingratiating himself to the the townsfolk there's a local who she she cuts people's hair and She's a very nice woman. There's another person who own, who is the manager at a sports bar, which is located in a hotel. And the manager at the sports bar doesn't act like a manager of a sports bar. He actually acts like one of the just arrogant, arrogant meathead patrons that you'd find at a sports bar. I love sports bars too myself, but he's he's as loud, if not louder than the customers. So he's very obnoxious. And the hotel owner wants the hotel, I guess, concierge, dude to fire this sports bar manager don't the only catch is this concierge dude is he they're best friends so it's a little push and pull he doesn't want to fire his best friend from the hotel even though the guy's a jerk and so you have all these little these these characters living in this town there's also this woman who she works at a bakery and she can't hold a job down because she's although she's very attractive and she's very sweet and demure. She keeps dropping the pastries. So whenever she tries to take a pastry out, she'll just drop it. And it's, you'll find out later why she's a total klutz. So ultimately all of these people, their lives intertwine because all of them end, end up taking a class, Italian for beginners. They all want to learn how to speak Italian. And, and it's just their it's just the story of all these disparate people living in this town, and how they socialize once a week at at this Italian Italian class. And what's really cool about it is it's not predictable. Meaning, you don't see them completely bonding over and having all these really great arch dramatic moments. And Bruce, to your point, that's what Dogma ninety five does for. Maybe this movie is considered a romantic comedy, but because it's not adorned with all the background, George Gershwin type music or swooping visual moments, none of that stuff. This is more of think of a romantic comedy, but done in a very, just very DIY and very unadorned Mm -hmm. fashion. And what that does with the handheld devices and the, like Eric, there's a lot of, Close to close ups, not close ups like like that, because I would be too stylized that just the camera getting into the bodies and the faces of all these people, you get to really feel how they're feeling at the moment. It's a very it's one of those rare romantic comedies where you feel in, like the celebration, like Festin, you feel like you're actually in the moment with them because of the way the camera is placed or the the movement of the camera or the actors. You don't feel like they're hitting a certain mark or they have to be in a certain position within the frame. It's a very well done film, Italian for beginners. And even if you're not into Dogma 95, it works as a romantic comedy because you don't have to know anything about the movement to know that, wow, this movie is really interesting. Not many movies are like this, right? And so within that romantic comedy romance space because it's under the Dogma 95 certificate it's a very very unique film it's nothing it's not deep like breaking the waves or even something like festen but as far as pure entertainment and really getting engaged with the characters like i'm sure you got engaged bruce with the yeah. fune this is a highly recommended Dogma 90 film 95 film more importantly highly recommended film just in general italian for beginners now streaming on paramount plus so that was my, Dogma ninety five, Hat in the Ring, Eric Holmes. Dogma sixty nine. What was your what was your pick? I think I you know I have a feeling I know what your pick is. It's it's a it's probably one of the most popular ones. I'm. I'm do you have a guess, Bruce? Do you have a you know what? Why don't we guess, and then let's see if if, if we're right. Okay. I'm gonna go first, and who knows maybe because I'm so stupid I don't even know if it's it's probably not a Dogma film. Breaking the waves. How about you, Bruce? Oh. What's oh. Okay, Bruce, no. um, Julian Donkey Boy.
1: Nope. So right away, uh, I was like, I Julian Donkey Boy and the idiot were out. Because I was like, well, either A, I thought maybe one of you two might do it, or B, I think <laughs> those are the two that people would probably know most. So, yeah. you know, we could probably skip past those. Then I saw Fuckland. I was like, well, where's that one at? Yes. I can't find, <laughs> I can't find it. So uh mifune was one that i was looking for i couldn't find that one otherwise we would have been doubling up on that <laughs> and then uh so i just i was like you know what fuck it i'll start at the uh, the last one which i think is like was it like dogma 36 or something like that <laughs> couldn't find it couldn't find it and 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 what's weird is the list they have is like one two four fifteen like they they skip a bunch oh, so. okay okay I started with the last one, at least the last one that they had listed. And I was like, this one, nope, this one, nope, this one, nope. I just couldn't. I, <laughs> I was like, dude, I did this Dogma 95 thing, and uh, I think I fucked anything. up because I can't find <laughs> another one. <laughs> so I was like, well, I, I know Julian Donkey Boy and the idiots. I, you know, I, I was trying not to do those two. I was like, I'm going to have to do one of those two because they can't find any of them. And then I finally came across the bread basket. And I found it on YouTube. I'm like, perfect. I go on YouTube and I look it up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. They only got like part of it. <laughs> it's only like a half hour long. Yeah. And uh, then I look it up. and I'm like, oh, it's only a half hour long. Fuck it. All right. Oh. <laughs> bread basket it is. Oh. <laughs> so uh, I, I finally came across it. I'll just tell the story and then go on all the rules that it breaks. Because it breaks damn near all of them. <laughs> 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 but uh it's uh it opens up with the guy uh looking inside of a fridge uh j- just like i am looking into the camera right now he's looking in the refrigerator and going around eating and in the background here uh 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 what do you call it like a playback of a, a phone call and it's not quite an answering machine because it's an actual conversation between the guy eating and his mom and he's like what i i don't know why i'm so fat like he he has he has weight you know a weight problem and body dysmorphia and all that stuff and he's just constantly eating like he just can't stop eating and then he goes uh he talks to his uh buddy and you know he talks about getting back he's like well you know how how do you get into acting it's like well you need a you need a uh agent so he's like okay oh yeah i'll I'll go talk to can I talk to your agent? He's like, yeah, I'll set up the meeting. So he talks to the agent and the agent's like, yeah, yeah, I can get, I, I can get your work. Oh, you might want to lose a couple pounds. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like how, how many pounds are we talking? Then, then he leaves and he's, you know, eating more and more. And his uh, girlfriend's trying to be helpful towards him, And, uh, and uh, you know, he's a real dick to her. And like, this guy's just in general, just not a good guy, but he's, he wants to uh, lose weight. But he can't stop eating, like like not, not stop eating. Like, uh, oh, I haven't eaten for three days. I'm hungry, but I can't. You know, it's like he's eating consistently, almost as much as he's breathing. I think he's eating more than he's breathing. And in fact, watching this movie, I was like, dude, I feel so sorry for that actor because they eat that much. Like, I I was getting sick just to watch what he was putting down. And then, you know, he's is life isn't going the way he wants it to and a lot of it is because he's you know he's just kind of a shithead and you know not because he's fat but he's just uh, he just has a bad attitude about everything it's everything's everyone's fault but his on top of that it's not going as bad as he thinks it is and then it ends in a certain way. Well, uh, so his girlfriend comes home when he's supposed to be on a diet and she's eating a hamburger because she's not on a diet. And then he just starts, like, reaching in and eating her fries. And it's like, what are you bringing these here for? <laughs> just eating her fries. <laughs> grabbing the hamburger. It's like, what the hell are you bringing this hamburger? I'll oh, eating the hamburger. But then he starts, like, shoving it in her face. And I'm like, oh, dude, you crossed a fucking line. She gets up and she leaves. And then the, the ending stuff happens and uh, I kind of needed to talk about the ending. Cause there's a, there's a part, all right, there, there's a, there's a part where he cuts himself. And I was, I was wondering how, you know, cause a, a lot of time, you know, the, the idea of uh, just random violence is against the rules. But again, this breaks almost all of them. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go through the list of that. Um, but on top of that, it didn't look like it was. Uh, it didn't look like it was makeup. It looked like he actually uh, had cuts oh. there, and I don't know if he maybe, you know, bumped himself or scraped himself. It's like ah oh, fuck, and then like you know what? Fuck it. We'll put that in the movie. And so they, you know, maybe it was just an accident that the actor had. That hey, cool. Now we can have you cut yourself because it, it's already there, and so might as well use it. Um, or it's either that. Or he actually cut himself one of the two. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which one it is. Probably probably the first one because it looked like it kind of healed over a little bit. So I think it was kind of already there. But anyway, um, th- this one's fine. I mean, it's only a half hour. So, you know, you give, give it a shot. It's, uh, you know, decent short, but it's not nearly on the level of uh, Fessin, Or is it on the level of the two you guys were talking about? Um, but one thing I thought was kind of interesting that I just started thinking, because the first thing you see is the title, the, the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. And normally in these, uh, at least the ones I've seen, they'll usually write the title on a piece of paper and film it or do something yep. of that sort of. This one was uh, just a regular title that you would put in after, you know, uh, put in whatever editing program you have. And then he's he's in the, uh, you know, staring at the camera eating and then you hear the the conversation with him and someone else playing in the background and may, I, maybe they already had a tape recorder there that they could use as a prop, but right, right away. I'm like, dude, he broke two rules already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not even sure if this is an Academy ratio. I have to look again to see. Uh, but then um, there's a bunch of uh, the editing, like, so like, you'll have one character talking and then they cut to the other character listening, but it's still, it's still the same. uh, It's just still the same audio track. And it. Oh, so like, I think there's some sound,
2: sound monkeying going on there.
1: Yeah. Mm. And then I, and then I started thinking about this and I didn't think of it as I was watching it, but I'm thinking about it. Like as we're recording this and I kind of want to watch it again. I was like, did they just break every rule in Dogma '95, but make it appear that it's the most Dogma? <laughs> <in a movie? laughs>
0: no, that'd be funny.
1: That'd be That's, funny if they did that. That kind of goes to my
2: point that I think that some people took the challenge of seeing what they could sneak in too, and yeah. still get like it's kind of an iconoclastic sort of ethos anyway. So the the fact of the person that might get into that would also want to break it, but try to yeah. get away with breaking it totally fits. I feel like um, I have a question. What do you guys think about this? What do you think of all those rules? Is the most useful or the most um, impactful to actually use? Like, what what one of those factors do you think I, was the most impact- impactful?
0: For me, the first thing that jumps out is the the handheld camera because that that's the way. That's the one. That's the, I think to me to me that's the foundation of it. That's the idea of you know what is it? Man with the camera. Well, right now these days, person with a camera, right? That's that's the idea. You you don't you don't have it on you don't have it fixed. I think that's the most important rule. For me, as a movie goer. and that did that. I reminded me
2: of um, Maya Darren. Remember how she yeah. talked about if you hold the camera and it's an extension of your body, and you're having to like like you're actually watching and moving things based on what you're where you're moving your body. So it became part of the actual physicality of yourself. The, what the camera was seeing. Yeah. Although I think it might, for me, it's the location. I oh. feel like having to use real locations, I think that really affected it because not only does the space dictate the story somewhat, I think that, um, uh, I mean, such a huge part of filmmaking and st- is staging and making sets and producing sets and making them to fit what story you want, as opposed to having the story have to work in the space that you have to find. Uh, yeah. I thought to me that really affected it. Uh, but I think the two things we're mentioning, and we'll see what uh, Eric says, the two things we're mentioning really worked well with surprisingly um, stereotypically light material. I thought it really gave it, it elevated it by yeah. giving it a real grounded quality. Yep. Uh, we both saw kind of similarly um, stereotypical kind of movies that ended up being way better because of the dogma. Uh, factors
0: you know why because of locations for those two locations it's like you feel that you are here they're telling mm-hmm. that you you are here as opposed to romantic comedies that are a transportive experience like oh you're on a boat and it's a luxury liner and then now you're going to paris so that's that yeah i really location is very important as well eric what was what is your most important rule
1: I probably go with the I don't know that's the most important, but I would go with the natural lighting because I like and that comes with a caveat. I think natural lighting looks really good on really good on camera. And uh, if you can shoot, you know, obviously, if you shoot it at night, you're going to have to have like lamps and stuff in the you know, not like not like. You know studio lamps, but you know lamps in the down living room or what it, whatever. Uh, but just found lighting, I guess, and natural lights. I, I think uh, it looks good, and it kind of uh, it kind of uh, tests your metal as a cinematographer uh, because you have to you know you know you have to know how your camera works, and you have to uh, you kind of have to work a little harder to get those really good shots. But if you can shoot in natural lighting and you can make it work, it looks fantastic. I don't think any of the uh, Dogma ninety five stuff I've seen. Real, I don't think they've really nailed that, Nailed the natural lighting aspect, but I've I've seen some things in natural lighting where it just looks it looks great, and I think it looks better than actual movie lighting does a lot of times. But it, I, I I just think it's important because it has the it has you know it has the possibility of looking fantastic, but you have to try. You have to you have to put in the work for it to happen that way. How about yours? Get, Look, Greg, because I know Mafune Mif- looked surprisingly good compared
2: to the look of Celebration, which was kind of we talked about, kind of grainy and
0: close to grainy.
2: Yeah, yeah. I online didn't think about it in, in Mafune. Mafune looked like I mean, I, I, if you didn't tell me, I could say it could be a um, a '90s indie movie. You know, a, a well-made '90s indie movie. I wouldn't think twice about it.
0: I would think tw- I would with time for beginners. I would think twice about it because it feels like a movie that was shot for a lot for a little money. Very very indie, but. I guess, to your point, Bruce, there were a lot of movies, I'm thinking about like Ed Burns' The Brothers McMullen, that had that look, that had mm-hmm. look close to grainy movies. Of, yeah, so maybe, I, I guess if it didn't follow those rules, the Dogma 95 rules, it would, it would fit snugly into the romantic comedies of its time. But this was a little bit more special because I think this felt a little bit, also with Dogma 95, at least with... The celebration and and with the time for beginners, there's a sense that, of course, there's a script, but because of the camera or the lighting, like you're saying, Eric, all these different elements, you feel like the story is progressing at a at a natural pace. So it really feels lived in. So I think that's one of the, you know, if we're going to close out, one of the legacies of Document 95 is using the principles of it to teach you how to make really good movies or, or tell real stories is to make... Hopefully, some of the best films are you feel actually lived in and real, and that's the feeling I get from. I can't wait to watch more of von Trier's work, to be honest, because that's a, a total blind spot With, within the realm of Dogma ninety five, and then also graduate and watch some of his other stuff as well, because I know he mixed he's he's mixed his tones throughout his brilliant oh, yeah. career. His so, most
2: stuff isn't very Dogma at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah,
1: but very I, dig- real. Real quick, who's this von Trier guy, and what does he have to do with Dogman 95? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: uh, if you think about it, I think it, it's interesting because we were talking about the. You know, Eric was saying how it's like a, it's giving them a exercise, like a like a writing exercise or a limitation. I think of um, another one I thought about was the, when all those famous directors did um, shot with that really old camera it was like the was it Milliers or who I forget whose camera it was mm. uh, you know David Lynch and all those guys and they had to shoot it and edit in camera for two minutes or crank it and the whole thing yeah um, and I also think that this movement really fits in if you think about fits in with the time because you think about it's a reaction to the incredibly stylized and you know homogenized version that was coming out of the 80s movies. Just the same way that you get like all of the grunge or alternative and all this crazy music, that's stripped down and more punk rock in the in the 90s. This is kind of the film version of that, you know, so I think it, 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 it makes sense societally as well to see that coming up at that time.
1: I like that it's uh, uh you know, as pretentious as it sounds, it, it feels like an early uh, earlier form of removing gatekeeping in cinema. You know, because the, the main the main thing is uh besides being an exercise is uh make it as cheap as possible and still good. Yeah. So you, 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 you have all you have all these rules, and these rules are to say that all those millions of dollars you need, you don't need it now because we got rid of all that. This is all you need right here. It, it, it might actually be because uh, I, I think the the 35 millimeter, for example, is uh, pretty anachronistic for today because uh, you can't, you literally can't do it. I mean, right? Uh, I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me where to find 35 millimeter film and a camera that can you know roll it for cheap. I think it'd be kind of neat to maybe revise the idea and then just uh, do another you know dogma 95 list just to give people. Uh, You know, can only be shot on a cell phone or, you know, you know, no lights, you know, a similar spirit of it, but just kind of update it to the rules to where anyone can can make a movie. And I get, I I wonder if that's the point. Like, look, you don't need you don't need a million dollar budget to make a movie. You just uh, grab your grab your camera and do it to it, Lars. Well, and I don't think it's
2: any accident that around the same time period, you have like Rodriguez doing El Mariachi. Yeah. You've got Clerks coming out. You've got Blair Witch Project. You've got a bunch of other cultural touchstones happening in the Western, you know, more Americanized world. Um, uh, making all these kind of, kids. I mean, you know, kids and all those kind of movies too, mm-hmm. which leads right into Julianne Donkey Boy and uh, Gummo and all that stuff. So it's, it was kind of in the air at the time. And I agree. Like, I think we are getting that somewhat now, but I think the difference is um, kind of in the same way as music, like once again, to go back to it is now everyone has access to it. So the difference is then you might have, you know, 10 people doing it and taking the chance. And now you might have a thousand people doing it. So it's much harder to kind of get, find the gems (laughs) in the noise, I think. But I think they're out there. I think people are doing it for sure. You know?
0: No, I haven't seen the Florida Project or Tangerine. Okay. So when that whole movement several years ago, so with Soderbergh and the iPhone stuff. Un- insane he did. insane, yeah. Unsane. And then he also did uh, that. Uh, I think it's called High Flying Bird. Do you think that iPhone movement was, I mean, ended pretty quickly, but do you, did you guys like that movement, what it was kind of going for, just shooting everything on, on the iPhone? And do you think we need some – I think, Eric, you were kind of pointing towards it. Like maybe there should be – I think coming down the road, maybe a different kind of movement around. I think, well,
1: I, a lot of that is uh, people getting uh, getting boners over gear because, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, sure, you got a red camera and you can shoot in 8K or whatever, but look, if you're going to play it on YouTube – what the hell do you need 8K for? And in fact, 8K, you don't even need that to project it on a screen. All that does is make the picture bigger. So if you didn't frame it right, you can zoom it in and it's still, it still looks good. So you can shoot in 1080p. You can shoot in 2K if you want. Uh, but you just have to uh, be able to frame your shots. And, you know, being able to shoot in 8K just means you can be a lot more lazier with the way you frame your shots. Uh, but, yeah, there's look, uh, you can have the best camera in the world and you can have the worst camera in the world. It's just a matter of knowing what your camera can do and then, uh, maximizing what the camera is capable of. You know, if, uh, if you're shooting on a, a DV camera, just know that you're not going to be able to blow up any images. Cause it's going to look like a bunch of little squares, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you have, uh, if you have a, a big ass IMAX camera, just know that, uh, uh, you're not going to be able to use natural sound because those things are loud and heavy. <laughs> so, you know.
2: Well, and I think that yeah. it it also goes back to just maximizing and giving everyone permission. You can tell a good story at any level. Yeah. Like, don't, uh, I think it, if anything, this this kind of movement or a new version of it just gives people permission to like make something. And you don't have to have, imax to make it great and we talked i mean what are some of the movies we love we love some of these great big movies but we also in the last year loved um you know um peckerhead we loved our um, pg psycho gormans which are a minuscule budget but maximizing what they have and maximizing their creativity and maximizing what they're giving us on screen compared to somebody and we won't talk about the ones we talked about a million times but somebody who has everything but
0: only hits the middle You know, they don't. Another thing about Dogma 95 that I completely forgot to mention. I really loved how I was not handicapped by the music, meaning Mm. I didn't have a great playlist, Spotify playlist to manipulate my emotions as it was cut and synced with a certain scene. I forgot to mention that sometimes just having like, what is it? Diegetic. Just the noise around you. Just the noise around you is enough, especially when you're telling a good story. And sometimes, as much as I love Hans Zimmer, and that's another conversation we'll get into down the road, Hans Zimmer and Zack Snyder, as as much as I maybe after this, after we record this, I might just go out and start watching the Snyder Cut because I love being manipulated. But there's something to be said, a lot to be said about having zero things to listen into except the story and the 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 noise that is coming out of people's mouths i i love that too eric holmes i was
1: thinking uh this wouldn't be a cheat because uh you know uh greg you could do the uh or bruce actually bruce do the uh do the uh uh the toast from the celebration and I can just be right next. Once you get the reveal, I, I can just be right next to the camera and do the sound effects. So, for example, Bruce, do the quick reveal—not the reveal at the end, but the reveal of the uh, the toast. Hello, everybody. I would like to make an announcement.
2: <laughs> My father, on this fine day, has quite a legacy. <laughs> I'm waiting for the dinging. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. Keep going. Keep going.
2: <laughs> He 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 made such an impact on me in our life, especially especially when uh, that one time that mom walked in the room and uh, well, let's say uh, things weren't quite what they should have been.
1: Wow! <laughs> See, got Hans Zimmer music right there. Yeah, that's we did about- it. All within Dogma ninety five. So
0: <laughs> all within. <laughs> All within the rules, but okay. So that is, that is our dogma 95 episode. Anything, any closing comments regarding your thoughts on dogma 95 lasting
1: impact regarding watching the last couple of weeks of dogma. I I think it would be a good idea for uh, anyone that's uh, adventurous and maybe even not so adventurous um, because there's enough of these and they're not well known enough that, and a lot of them, you can't really tell what they are by the title alone. So maybe just go down the road. Cause this is like a good grab bag. You're going to, you know, you might not like all of them or you might love some of them, but they're all at least going to be interesting. And knowing the rules ahead of time, at the very least, it'll give you something to kind of point out like, ah, oh, they broke a rule there. Or, oh, wow. I, I, that's cool. How they got around the rule on that thing. Or, you know, so that um, or maybe the, maybe the story is just so, Uh, captivating that you don't even think about the rules and you're just like, Oh wow. What, what happens next? Um, Well, yeah, quite, quite the grab bag. We'll say.
0: And Bruce, quite the grab. Any, any final thoughts regarding this?
2: Um, Kind of what we got at before. And and I think that what uh, you and I picked are perfect illustrations of that. If you're like, kind of like I was, and you think like, this is going to be this austere, super artsy, you know, obscure bunch of movies um, they aren't all I mean the celebration sure it's, it has some serious moments but it's it's vastly entertaining and um, it sounds like the movie Greg had and the movie I had were both uh, pretty um, audience pleasing kinds of small romantic comedies with some dramatic elements I mean so I think that um, don't I guess don't judge the book by a
0: preconception in this case you know yes and listeners if you I definitely recommend Time for Beginners, Bruce Perky recommends Mifune. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the bread, was it the bread basket air yeah. comes? Yes. Um, the caveat regarding the bread basket, when you watch this 30 minute short film, the bread basket, we do suggest you not only follow the Dogma 95 rules when you are watching it, but please sync your, re- your eating real time with the main character in the short. And see what happens at the end of three minutes. You will
1: die. <laughs> <laughs> and you might and even we'll shit your pants.
2: <laughs> insert insert uh, Mr. Creosote exploding right here from
0: Money <laughs> Python. <laughs> 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 okay. And for our next director spotlight, Eric, Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. They did, I was gonna say they did me a solid, but the way the show goes, we have all these <laughs> in the windows, and I don't like that, but they ultimately did me a solid by both of them. They purchased a movie called toto the hero or in belgium i think they call it toto le ero oh my goodness eric holmes you have toto the hero bruce perky you will I'm be waiting for mine it's in somewhere somewhere in the mail it's coming okay so it's Jacques Van dormiel oh and rain oh my goodness and you so, got? What... did you get it that day when we were recording the podcast eric did, yeah, that...
1: yeah as soon as we're done uh I, I opened the door i think one of the kids must answer the door and just said it right outside my room Okay, so I, I got just, the I got the best nieces and nephews ever. That's why. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: very good. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. They're awesome people. But you know what? Very quickly regarding Jaco Van Dormiel, I know very little about him. I, I I don't remember if I actually did. I think I actually did interview him. But Total the Hero background information. I saw that as a film critic at the U C when I was at the UCLA Daily Boon. I named it as my favorite film of the year, and I remember writing a review saying. Before I before watching *Toto the Hero*, *Cinema Pardiso was one of my favorite films of the last decade or something, and this movie ran circles around cinema Paradiso, and then there was a there was a journalist who I, whom i admired I, and he wrote for the la reader and he said some critics and you know he was picking on a college student and this guy was in his mid-30s at the time he goes, some critics have called it have compared this to cinema Paradiso, but i see no correlation and i was heartbroken what a what a thing to do to me it's <laughs> just a friggin' college student but the reason why i have not seen to- i saw it twice i have not seen it for the last whenever that movie eric holmes was released i think in 91 or 92 it it made a real big impact on my life so i i was uh, I, w- I was infatuated with a girl then i saw this movie and then it set me on this path to eventually become a lonely heart sad podcaster find your film in cinematics so that is the root of Toto the Hero Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes I just wanted to depress them about the movie before they do their research on Jaco Van Dormiel we'll be we'll be covering Toto the Hero and Mr. Nobody in two weeks Mr. Nobody it's the more popular of the films and it's easy to find it is headlined by I think Bruce Perky's favorite musician Jared Leto if I'm not mistaken Oh yeah, I love it, <laughs> Bruce Berkey. If you didn't hear the sarcasm, there there is a sarcasm was was dripping. It was naturally dripping. Jordan
2: Catalano, since- he's
0: so dreamy, he's such dreamy, and, dreamy. And then he pulled out the Jordan Catalano reference, Very good. Bruce Berkey. All right, Eric Holmes, it, this was your episode. You're taking us out. Final thoughts.
1: Good stuff. Check it out. I don't know who any of the directors. Oh, actually, here. Hold on. Let me get the. Um. Oh. You're, oh, are, oh you are you cheating? Are you looking cam? it up? he's doing the show No. Shaky no. Oh. Just, uh, so. Oh. oh, oh you are doing the shaky what, what, what you want to do? I. And these movies are not real easy to find. But if you find them, I yes. think you'll find a lot of uh, diamonds. Diamonds yeah. in the rough, so diamonds to speak. Diamonds in the rough. <laughs> and then, um, you know, maybe just uh, maybe come on uh, the Cinematics Facebook page, or or if you could, um, you know, maybe, um, just. <laughs> You know, uh, hit up uh, the Finder Film. Uh, hit us up on Finder Film and tell us what you thought of the movies. And uh, maybe watch a couple of them. Tell us which ones you liked, which ones you didn't, or maybe you like all of them. Who knows? That's the cool thing about a grab bag. You never know what you're going to get. You just reach in there, and it could be a snake or it could be a <laughs> little puppy that you pet. Just whatever it is. I hope you dig it. Or if you don't, I hope we found something interesting in it. And thank you for listening. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.